What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a happy and healthy new year. And I hope that you're ready for a jam-packed show today coming up later. I'll tell you why the middleweight division is a mess. If Nate Diaz has found his next opponent, and I'll also answer a great question about John Jones. But before all of that, let's begin by taking a look at a social media feud that dominated the headlines this weekend. Jake Paul and Dana White. This is the unexpected fight of 2021, right? Can we agree to that? It's even spilling over into the new year with no signs of slowing down. But isn't this a little bit unexpected? I mean, isn't the great reward that Jake Paul is getting? And what fun he must be having. Jake Paul set out with the world's craziest idea that he's going to go out there in the tough guy business and do well. Turned out, he did just that. Jake Paul had a crazy idea that he's going to go into a sport of which he does not belong, with no amateur pedigree, no golden gloves, no lineage within the family, like, you know, my uncle fought or my grandpa used to box in the army, nothing like that. He's going to do well, and he's going to headline shows with Olympians and world champions on the card. They are going to open. He is going to be the marquee fight. That is ridiculous. He did just that. Jake Paul is calling his own shots the way Conor McGregor used to do when Conor was getting his come-ups, and then he's seeing them through. Remember Mystic Mac, and he had a crystal ball. Conor was not only calling the stoppages, he was calling the rounds. And then once he calls the stoppages and he calls the rounds, he, he starts calling the technique that he's going to stop him with. Remember when they are doing that? Jake Paul is doing the same thing. And now Jake Paul has the attention of the most powerful man in combat sports. <laughs> Jake can't go wrong. He just can't go wrong. And some, I mean, all you're looking for when you're looking for an enemy is you're looking for a partner. That's all you want. You come after a guy and you act like you're trying to ruin his day, but all you're really hoping for is that you get a response so that this spills over until tomorrow, and as long as you still got a few going with one guy, you can just ping that back and forth until the audience is done with it. And Jake found himself the greatest nemesis that anybody could ever have. Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, athlete versus promoter, sold more tickets in advance to a WrestleMania than any other WrestleMania in history. Like, promoter versus athlete just works. Then when it's a promoter and it's an athlete that isn't your athlete, and it's a whole new element to it. The whole thing is very fascinating. And Dana is always sitting on his cards, right? You come to that expression, a smart man knows what to say. A wise man knows whether or not to say it. And Dana is always sitting on these that he never throws on the table. So I'm always sitting back observing this whole thing. Okay, look at what Jake said. Okay, look at what Dana said. Or it could be look at what Oscar said. Look at what Dana said. Or it could be look at what Bob Arum said. And look at what Dana said. I always, I always enjoy these feuds that Dana finds himself in. But he never pulls that ace out of his sleeve and puts it on the table. He never does. I don't know why. Part of me thinks because he knows he's going to someday and he doesn't want to play that card too soon. And part of me thinks he doesn't put the ace on the table because he knows it's going to end the discussion and he's having just as much fun as Jake Paul. People have been coming after the evil, awful Dana for the way that Dana pays people. Now, they don't ever add the fact that nobody's written more checks than Dana White. More. Not even talking about the number, the total dollar amount. I'm talking about more. I'm talking about 22 people, 22 athletes get paid every single Saturday. 
Nobody knows what 22 times 52 is for 52 weeks in a year. Like, that's impossible math to know. But there is nobody in combat sports that writes that many checks. Dana's never brought that up. Nobody in the world, not just combat sport, no business in the world, is paying 600% more now than they did 15 years ago, except for Dana White. But Dana White never brings that up. He never defends himself. Nobody makes as many millionaires in a sport as Dana White was, of a sport that he created, a sport that he made acceptable and even possible. But he never talks about that, never once. He never takes a victory lap. And the one that I love the most is the split. This is by far my favorite. The split in boxing is 50-50. We believe the split in the UFC is closer to 80-20, but we don't actually know. But somebody else said it, and I think it was Dave Meltzer, and we're going to run with it because nobody set out to correct it. Okay, great. Dana will close the book on that instantly when he brings in one fact which is top rank just by example. And yes, I did go to their offices. I popped into top rank because I happened to be a fan and I wanted to see if I could learn something. I did learn something, which is they have an exact total of nine employees. And I appreciate that. And the seven of those nine that I met, two were out for lunch, were very nice. I do not begrudge them. They rent an office space in Las Vegas. Dana White owns a compound in Las Vegas. Of the nine employees at top ranks, they put on four meaningful events a year. Dana has 400 employees that put on a show every seven days. So, of course, the split can't be the same when you have nine mouths to feed as opposed to 400 mouths to feed. And then you can really never tell the truth. You can never tell the truth because you have a stigma out there right now that the most important thing that you have is the fighter. Well, that's a very nice thing. And when the fighter is the one on display, you would like to continue that message to the world. Now, the reality is, and it's in this order, your most important department is production. Your second most important department is marketing, and I will combine that with PR. When you come over to the UFC, the way that you're going to look on camera is going to be different than any way you've ever looked before. You're going to look with something the kids call cool. And you're going to have the whole world know what your story was with the five W's of who, what, when, why, and where in conjunction the market and PR. That is the order. But every seven days, fight of the night bonuses, four in total, total of 200 grand, spread over 52 weeks, $9.6 million a year goes to the fighters. It doesn't go to the marketing department where it belongs. It doesn't go to the production team who remain unnamed and never get thanked. It will go to the fighters that are asked to go to work three times a year. Now, for those fighters to look good and have the world know and care about their fights, 400 other people had to work 365 days a year, but they never get thanked because that's not the way the story is. The fighters should take everything. Do you see the problem? Do you see the difference? So do you see when it's fun that Dana just takes these lumps? He just takes them. He takes them and he fires back, but he never puts it on the table. He never puts it out there for you to see. He is a performance institute that will not only house, not only rehabilitate, and not only train any athlete that wants to do it, they'll feed the son bitch three times a day plus snacks. What do you think that costs? My guesstimate, I'm guessing you're looking at about $50,000 a day just to have that. Something no other sport would ever offer. But Dana never brings up these arguments. He just takes it on the chin that he's running the evil empire here. There's no thanks, there's no victory lap that 400 other people 
get to be in the fight business. It's very hard to be in the fight business if you're not throwing punches or having punches thrown at you. You're not going to get it with Eddie Hearn. You never got it with Don King. Showtime's got a department, does a great job, but it's very small. They get pulled in different directions, so it would be kind of hard to isolate who is Showtime boxing, in all fairness, but they're right around that same number. That 9, 11, 14 people, right around that same number. A couple of really excellent fights a year. Not doing it every seven days. Don't just have a lease, you have a mortgage. You've got multiple ones. You've got one going to Macau. You're looking at doing one in Brazil. I mean, it's just a very different business model. But Dana's never taken the time to explain it. He doesn't seem to care. Go ahead and hit him over the head with it. Smack him in the face with it. Do whatever you want to do. Act like the production and the market and the PR isn't what makes the fighter. And there's no question about that. Like, that's not debatable. Brock Lesnar fought for a promotion. I believe it was in Japan. What was that called? What was that called? K was it K1? It wasn't Pride. It was somebody else. They didn't do very well. Ronda Rousey had a whole bunch of fights before she came to the UFC. She never sold out an arena. Conor McGregor fought in several different organizations and most certainly was not marquee. But the production, in conjunction with the marketing and PR department of the UFC, have made for something very special. Very, very special. A ton of hard work. Men and women that will never get any credit, and some of them started out the hard way. Internships, just trying to get a foot in the door. Traveling the world, eating dinner alone in a hotel, living out of a suitcase. They will never be thanked. Every Saturday night, the bonuses will go to the athletes. The athletes who got to go out there and showcase their skills in a very well-produced event that the world is watching and those two departments never get discussed. And I'm not acting as though those are the only two important departments. By the way, I'm sharing for you, if you're going to talk about in order of who there is to thank, that's who there is to thank. And if you want to know why the split can't be bigger, because you're not feeding eight people three times a year. You're feeding 400 people and obligations to the bank and a mortgage and servicing debt and finding a way to keep it all going. 24 7, 365. They are vastly different models. There is nothing like it. That includes the entertainment model of Hollywood. That includes the entertainment model of song and dance. There is nothing like this. And there is no team and more people in any form of combat in the history of ever. I will see Olympians attempt to do this every four years. They'll talk about what their cut should be because, after all, that's what this is all about. And nobody's going to correct them because we want them to feel that way. Why would we want to take that away from them? They're absolutely an integral part. And they're absolutely doing a great job. And they absolutely have earned that opportunity. But I'm not watching because of your skills. I'm watching because you're on television. So do I give you the credit or do I give it to NBC? I mean, do you see the difference? That's the reality. And any smart man knows the truth. A wise man just knows whether or not to say it. So two guys that have greatly benefited from Dana White's time with the UFC, Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier. And rumor is, we might see the two of them get locked in the cage together soon. Dustin Poirier goes on Teddy Atlas' program and somehow drops a great nugget that he has agreed to fight Nate Diaz on short notice. Now, I'm giving you those two clues because that's all that we have. We have to do the work from there. What does that mean? How did this come about? All right. That fight is awesome. That fight is going to work any way you want to do it. And I think that Poirier deserves a ton of credit 
it, it is very hard when you fall off a horse to get back on. We all know that that's the rule and that's what you need to do, but it's hard to do. It's much easier to say it than to actually do it. Poirier agreed to fight Nate Diaz, at least on social media, four days after he had his heart broken and his title taken away. So Poirier is showing us who he is as a person. He is revealing his character to the world. He is being tested not only physically but mentally, and he is passing with flying colors. There's a piece of that fight that's tough, though, which is Nate Diaz has told the world, I have one left, and I want to get it done. There's something else in life that I have an interest in. And I share that because if this were Nate Diaz's last weigh-in, could you imagine? If this were Nate Diaz's last walk, if this were Nate Diaz's last competition in the UFC, that, that you'd feel something. That's tough. Right, I mean, Nate Diaz and UFC, these go together. Diaz, you MMA, these things go together. That would be tough stuff. We would never miss that for all the tea in China. The other side of it is, what is this about and what happens? And there are certain things that you have to do in a night. You are trying to win, but there's other things you have to do. So what would Nate Diaz have to do? Nate Diaz, the rumor... I have no inside information, but of boxing Jake Paul. That's just a rumor that I believe. I believe that that's got an interest and there's a conversation and he would like to have it and congrats, contractually he cannot even sit down and hear anybody out. That's just what I believe. Nobody's disputed that. We'll operate on that assumption. Okay, so what does Nate need to do? Does he have to beat Poirier? That's certainly going to be his plan, but does he have to do it? Does he have to look good with Poirier? Does he have to fight Poirier differently? Does he have to fight him standing up, showing the lefts and the right hands, showing these boxing skills? I don't know. I'm asking you guys. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they go hand in hand. I think that that has always been a miss by MMA fighters from Jump Street, thinking that they have to go out in MMA fights and do boxing as a way to be believable and incredible to the boxing world. I, I don't think it has anything to do with anything. I think you just have to go out and compete mano a mano and get your hand raised. If you can't do that, go out and compete and show heart and show grit and show toughness. And show, uh, but you, you see what I'm saying here, guys. What I'm saying is, is if an athlete doesn't believe, if an athlete doesn't agree, if an athlete thinks he has to go out and do certain things in an MMA fight to be compelled to a totally different sport, tough. He's in a tough spot. One of my, my favorite expressions, boxing announcer said this, I was a little kid, I heard it and I've taken it with me, which is, fighters always want to look good, but here's the deal. Look good next time, tonight just win. When next time comes, I'm going to look good next time, tonight I'm going to just win. And, and there is a real relevance to that. And there's all sorts of different wins, particularly when you're dealing with Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz had wins in his fight with Leon. The high spot of the night went to him. The loudest reaction from the crowd due to the highest spot of the night went to Nate. And Nate had wins, and Nate has an ability to get wins that aren't just the victory of the final decision within the contest. But I don't want... First off, that's going to hurt me. If that is Nate's last time weighing in, a Nate Diaz weigh-ins is so special. That crowd that comes out, that reception... That, that they give him to just walk onto a stage and get onto a scale, there is nobody that can touch a Nate Diaz weigh-in. 
The walkout for Nate Diaz, when they pop his face on the screen, that music's playing and he leaves the locker room. There is an energy. You will never forget it if you see it live. He is special. Nate Diaz is special. And if that's his last one, boy, that's going to be tough stuff. And then what's on the line for Poirier? First off, what weight class are these boys going to fight at? Nate fights at 55, but Nate fights at 70 as of late. I don't even know that Nate's talking about going back down to 55, but that is an interesting piece of the story. Because that would mean that Poirier is going to go fight at 170 pounds. Very interesting because Poirier alluded and foreshadowed that he may become a 170 pounder after he gets done with the contest with Charles Oliveira. The contest with Charles Oliveira is done, and now it looks as though Poirier is going up to 170 pounds. Is he planning to stay there? I mean, 170 gets shaken from the roots on up if you insert Dustin Poirier into it. And if Dustin Poirier's biggest opportunity is Nate, who he wants to fight and has wanted to fight for years, and the weight class is 170, all of a sudden he's a 170-pounder. Simple as that. What makes the difference between a 70-pounder and a 55-pounder? One of them fights at 170, right? It's as simple as that. If he goes on, I, that's what I would predict. I don't think Nate's cutting back down to 55. Do you guys? No. Nate's a big guy. He's been fighting at 70. If he's going to fight Poirier, Poirier's going to have to come up to 170. And then are there special rules put on the match? Nate versus Leon, by example, was a mega fight. And out of nowhere, they came in and go, okay, it's not a title fight and it's not a main event, but you're going five rounds anyway. All right, great. More Nate. Everybody wins. But it's an interesting piece. Is Poirier now a 70-pounder? Very interesting piece. Poirier looks as though he's getting back on that horse and he's going to try to make that run one more time. Maybe he's going to do it at 170. But his marching orders and his goals still appear to be pretty clear to us. What are Nate's goals? What does Nate have to do? I overheard a conversation one time. Dana White and Cain Velasquez. I just happened to be within ear's distance. I overheard it. MGM Grand. Co-main event. Daniel Cormier versus Pat Cummings. Daniel Cormier was a top guy in the world in two different divisions, getting ready to take on John Jones for a world championship. His opponent, I believe, was to be Rashad Evans, and Rashad pulled out. Daniel doesn't have a dance partner. Nobody wants to fight Daniel Cormier. So Pat Cummings, who was not even in the UFC, raised his hand and said, I do, and I'm actually familiar with him. We used to train together. And you can go ask Daniel, I'm going to be a tough night out. And that's exactly what happened in that fight got put together. But all of a sudden, Daniel Cormier, who's getting ready to go fight John Jones for a world championship, has got to deal with somebody who's never been on TV before. It's a very tough spot. And when that fight ended, Daniel won. And I just heard Dana say to Kane. Dana walked over to Kane and, and Dana said, he did what he de- needed to do tonight. Kane said nothing back. Dana finished the thought and said, he looked good. All he needed to do tonight was look good. And he did. Daniel took on an unknown with no ranking. Next fight for the world championship. Sometimes you just got to look good. Interesting spot. Fun match. Lot riding on it. But it's not the same weight as other contests where you have two potential contenders that are working their way up. So I'm asking ahead of time. Do you agree with me? that the date being looked at for that fight is February in Houston, Adesanya versus Whitaker. Do you agree with me that a win 
for a guy trying to fulfill a contract versus a guy trying to climb the ladder in a new weight class is not the same thing. And if you do agree with that, then what does victory for each guy look like? So I believe if it were to happen, Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz belongs on the February card that is headlined by Israel Adesanya. And speaking of Izzy, I've got something I'd like to say to the rest of the guys at 185 pounds. Everything in this sport is a competition. Everything. Every press conference you go to, you should be keeping track. If you've got a pen and a piece of paper in front of you, you should be making a tally. How many questions were you asked and how long did you spend answering them versus whoever else is on that stage with you? And if you show up and you're not getting questions and you don't find a way to interject, shame on you. Everything is a competition. They got t-shirts for sale. You should be keeping track. You should find a friend over there in the company and just get numbers. Who is selling what? How far am I behind? This guy's selling more for me. Great. That's all I need to know. I'll take it from there. Do my own investigative work. I will stalk this guy. I will follow him on social media. I will look at every single thing that he ever does that has anything to do with these goddamn t-shirts. And then I'm going to copy his idea. But it's all a competition. Middleweights, all of you, are losing. You are losing and you are losing badly. When I take a look at middleweight, I would argue that Israel Adesanya is the most fun fighter to watch. I would also argue that he is the most dynamic. I can't prove those things. Those are opinion-based, but we do have a popular majority vote, and I think that you guys would concede that to me, man. Adesanya does everything right. He will entertain you on his way to the ring. He is going to cut a promo before he leaves the ring, and he has never had a boring fight. I mean, right, Adesanya, he's, this guy's got it going on. Adesanya is about to fight Robert Whitaker. I forgot those two were going to fight until Adesanya came out two days ago and said, things are going to be very different this time. Thinking things are going to be very different. You knocked him out twice the first time. Well, like, what more difference? But it was still interesting, and I still read it. And I'm going, man, I really want to see that fight, by the way. I am not hating on, on Whitaker versus Adesanya at all. Particularly because this is, you have to answer one question in a rematch. One question before you can book a rematch. What's different? Now, do, if that gets a different result or it doesn't, you must be able to fulfill that question right off the bat. Robert Whitaker's different. There's your answer. If you have forgotten, if you did not see, or if you did not observe while seeing Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gatslam, go rewatch that match and you will see Robert Whitaker is not the guy. Adesanya fought the first time. Whitaker has added what he needs to add to beat Adesanya. Now, Whitaker's going to have a mental battle. He looks at Adesanya, and he doesn't love that matchup. That's Whitaker's business. He can come and argue with me, and that's between him. But as I see it, that's the problem that you're at, and I will also submit for you that is the same guy. Now, when you're as dominant as Israel Adesanya, when you're winning fights and you're not even losing rounds... Adesanya not only beat Robert Whitaker by finish, he knocked him out twice. Do you guys remember that fight? Adesanya knocked Whitaker out twice in two rounds. When you're in that spot, it's very tough for you to then say, I need to change things. In fact, it's probably wrong. If you're getting the outcome that you want, not only that, but the performance as well, it was absolutely dominant. Adesanya did not have a, a glove put on him. And he put his opponent out twice in one evening. I mean, in all fairness to Adesanya, I do not think that it should be viewed as an insult that I'm saying he's the same guy as he was then. 
I don't think that's an insult. There's a gap. He's maintaining that gap, but Whitaker's not. Whitaker's very different. I only want to disclose that to you guys because I am not hating on that fight. I am very interested in that fight, and I'm going to be the one charged with telling you guys the story, the one that I just told. I'm going to have to amplify it and tell it more and more and more because Whitaker and Adesanya are going to do a goddamn thing to help me. Okay. The division is still failing. The mere fact that Adesanya and Whitaker are going to rematch when there was nothing, and I do mean nothing, competitive about the first time they fought. The mere fact that we have guys within that division who have never lost within the division. Guys that are on seven fight win streaks, and they're not even in the conversation of getting the opportunity over a guy who was already given the opportunity and didn't want the rematch, but they're still going to do it anyway. Your division is failing. If I went to the average fight fan and said, hey, do you, you want to see this fight? Do you know what it is? Do you know what arena they're fighting in? Do you know what the date is? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back a whole bunch of crickets. And there's still some time. They can get off their ass, or they can be mad at me for saying it. At least I'm talking about it. Nobody else is. So I'm doing as best as I can do to do a favor, but I have a larger point, which is all of the other middleweights. Where are you guys? Do you not see that your division is under attack? Are you not aware that a guy is getting a rematch before you're getting your first match? Do you not see that as a problem? Do you not see that as problematic? Meanwhile, at 155 pounds, I could go find any day, hit the refresh button, and there is going to be chatter amongst the 55-pounders all arguing about who should go where and when. You can look at the heavyweight class, which is in a pretty good hands right now. Pretty uncommon, but it is. You can look at light heavyweight. That through the history of the organization UFC has been a perennial weight class, and it's back on top. 135 pounds got parity. Guys are switching weights at 125. There ain't a goddamn thing going on at 185. None of you guys are getting headlines. None of you guys are being interesting. None of you guys have anything coming up that anybody's talking about. When your champion is about to do a rematch that had absolutely no level of competition and nobody called for it, the challenger in this case, Robert Whitaker, God bless him, wonderful guy, never asked for the match. He never said he wanted it. There is no media member anywhere that said that they wanted that match. And the fact that they're going to redo it when there's all of this fresh pair, do you think Adesanya wants to go out and do something that he's already done for what? It's a very hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to ask Izzy to do. Whitaker's doing that he never wanted to do. I think Whitaker's prepared for it. By the way, I'm not sure I'm not picking Whitaker. Before, if, I just, I'm, I'm just throwing that out now just because Whitaker is so different. I love the match. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm speaking to a larger point about the division that has stand back and is allowing it to happen. Speaking of a division where you got guys that have never lost within the division, main event fighters, stopping the top guys on the world on ESPN who aren't even in the conversation, you should be asking yourself why. You're all partners. High tide rises all boats is very true when you're dealing with a division, but if you're so hateful and you're so spiteful and you're so competitive that you're trying to pull everybody down, you're going down with it. You must light a fire behind it. If your division is not the perennial division, you should be looking around and wondering why it's not and start saying, what have I done to make it that way? What am I doing to pitch in? How am I making this compelling? How are things going to be different? Where is the parity? Where is the focus? How do we have a world championship about to be contested and nobody's discussing it? It's a very tough spot. I don't like to see middleweight in this spot because I do believe that they have the bodies. When you don't have well-known names, right, perception becomes reality and it's never clearer than within the sport of MMA or, or within boxing.
I was to do a poll on who the best boxer is at such and such weight class, that is purely a popularity contest of who have you heard of more. You will know nothing about their skills. You'll know nothing of their story. You'll know nothing of their resume. And you go, Floyd Mayweather, my God, I've heard, of course it's Floyd. That just means Floyd is more popular than the next guy just by example. Or if you go, oh, it's Canelo. Well, okay, then you've read more headlines on Canelo. You don't actually know what their skills are because they don't have a competitive architecture in place, so it would be impossible to know in the first place. But it's still a real thing where if you have names that aren't household, it has nothing to do as a reflection with on their resumes or within their skill set. It's perception over reality. And those guys need to band together much better than they are. They can go fight it out in the unified rules, all chips on the table, take everything from the guy that you got. You still got to get the guy across from you in the first place. They don't let you go do this sport by yourself. There's not a kata contest. It is a fighting contest. You versus somebody else. So whether you like him or not, you need a partner. I cannot remember a time in history where middleweight has been the stuff. I can't remember a time in history where you have the most exciting guy. And I'm going to say that's Adesanya. That's a personal opinion. But I think Adesanya has a way to entertain you all that is different from anybody else. Because he will do it on the way to the ring and he will do it on his way out. We all love what he does inside there. I'm just sharing with you. He is something very special. When he's on the top of the bill, but your division is the one with the dimmest light on it, you've got a problem. You've got a very big problem that can't be fixed from the outside. It's got to be fixed from within. Whether you guys got to huddle up, you got to team up, or you just got to start going about it and hope that the guy across from you has got the sense that God gave geese to do his part and follow along. Either way, middleweights, you right now are under attack. Another guy that's got linked to Adesanya a lot in the past is, of course, John Jones. Now, I got asked a question earlier about John, and I liked it so much, I wanted to share it with you guys. Who needs who more? Does John Jones need the heavyweight division, or does the heavyweight division need John Jones? And I'm just asking about more. Because as this gets closer, as the return of John gets closer, I must tell you, I get more and more interested, and I would even put my interest on the side of excited. The John Jones experiment is one that I am watching extremely closely. And when John used to do a little bit better job of coming out on social media and bringing us all into it, I was the first one there. And even if I come to you guys and act like a jerk about it and try to dismiss him because I got a personal thing with John Jones, in fairness, I was interested. John Jones walking away from 205 pounds, moving into heavyweight, and taking X amount of time to change the physiology of his body so that he was what he believed to be big enough. And I have to word it like that, because I think John Jones could have done just fine at heavyweight, weighing in at 205 pounds. I think that he's that talented. He mentally needed to weigh 240, and he told us that. Where that number came from, is that an arbitrary number? Did he study it? Did he know himself? Who he looked? Why he came up with 240? He's never disclosed to us, but this is what he disclosed, and then he went to work. He got into the lifting. He got into the proteins. I'm sure he had to eat more. I'm sure he had to run less, right? I mean, it's ultimately calories in to calories out, and you're talking about good weight, and he was putting on some pretty good weight, man. He was looking good. That's just a hard thing to do, particularly post 30 I believe, that particularly for males, you have control of your body once you're 25. Your body's not going to grow. It's not going to throw you off. It's not going to change things. John did it on purpose. And I can just remember back to my youth, taking a break in the summer, two months off, come back into wrestling practice. It was like it was my first day. 
I'm two inches taller. I've gained eight pounds, but that threw off my timing. It threw off my balance. It, it threw off my position. I mean, I remember this year after year after year. I'm sure you guys can relate. But I had no control of that. I didn't have control of my body yet. John had control of his body, but he changed the physiology anyway. That's interesting to me. And I don't know if I fully agree with most people's timeline. Most people's timeline with John Jones goes something like this. People lost interest in John Jones. John was so successful, and he cleaned out the division, and he got rid of everybody, and there wasn't new meaningful contenders. That was kind of the belief. Now, we found out fight after fight, no, these guys are a little better than you're giving them credit for. Whether it was the razor-thin Dominic Reyes fight, whether it was the split decision Tiago Santos fight, there was some matches that were looking pretty damn close. But when you would go to a John Jones fight, you had people that were dressed up as empty seats. Less and less people had an interest. That's the way that the story would be told. I don't know that I agree. I don't know that people did lose interest in John. I think John lost interest in the division. I think that division quit being interesting to John. I think maybe John did look at some of those opponents as though they're not worthy. They don't belong here. I'm going to go in here, do what I do, and 25 minutes later, I'm getting my hand raised yet again, and then found himself in matches that were harder than he thought they were going to be. But that also comes back, not to a lack of training, not to a lack of preparation, not even to a lack of respect. He lost interest. John needed to get his interest back. I think that's what heavyweight represents. John is not going to see people dressed up as empty seats for a meaningful period of time. There are three mega... Not just big, not just massive. I'm going one more. Mega fights waiting for him right now. Stipe Miocic, Surreal, gone. Francis Ngannou. Any way you want to do it in any order that you do it in. Those are going to be some fascinating matches. Now, once you exhaust that, you might be back at square one. Hopefully some contenders come up. There's things that are outside of John's control. John just did an interview. Or made a comment on social media, but this is John speaking, and he just did this about 40 minutes ago, and he said, over the weekend, I locked myself in my office. I watched all sorts of videos on hypothetical opponents, meaning he's probably the big three I just talked about, Surreal Francis and Stipe. He probably didn't go any further than that. Might have given a good look at Derek Lewis in there, but I suspect that's who John's talking about, though he didn't clarify. And then he said, yeah, he looked at myself. Started watching my own film. What I can do different, what I wish I was doing different, that's interest. I haven't heard John Jones speak that way in a period of time. I cannot recall a time ever when John said he locked himself in a room and just studied tapes of opponents and or himself. I don't ever recall that. So now you're talking again to go back to the word interest. John is now interested. John is re-engaged. I don't think that the fans ever left him. And I don't think the fans ever left the division. I think it was John that checked out. And I think that we can all also understand how that could happen. It's very hard. It's a hypothetical for the rest of us, right? We're never going to have the level of success that he had. He was so successful that he walked away from a world championship. I spent my life trying to get a world championship. I couldn't imagine giving it back. He had so many of them. He handed one back. Hard to relate to. But now you have John who's interested. People don't get better at something by not doing it. But I could give you other examples that people also can't do, but John found a way. I could give you several examples that wouldn't work for anybody else. Here's, here's how I talk about John, and here's what I would encourage you. Don't copy him. 
Do not think, okay, here's what John Jones did. Here's what I'm going to do. It's all going to work out. I'm going to get the same result. Don't copy John, but also don't critique him. The greats in life, right now we're talking sport, but this could be anything in life. The greats in life are the ones that understand themselves early on. They know how much training they need, not the broad stroke, what the whole team needs, what the whole athlete needs. What do I need? They know the rest that they need. They need the food that they need. They know the distractions that they need. John did a very good job, whether you like it or not, of identifying those things for himself early. And yes, it's rinse and repeat. He's doing things now that he was doing then. And you think, hey, John, you could get away with it then. You were a younger guy. Now you're an adult. Either set that aside. John does know John. And when John was interested, he went on to be the youngest champion in UFC history. I'm only submitting for you guys right now. I believe he's reinterested. I don't know that the light heavyweight division started closing the gap and catching up on, God, on John. I think in truth, John wasn't all that involved with the division for a period of time. I think that John recognized that. I think that John needed something new. He needed something exciting. He needed some parity. He needed a change. He was willing to take the risk. He was willing to take his oars out of the water, even though people were criticizing him, saying, you got to get out there and you got to be busy. He was able to lock in and do what was best for John. Nobody can take a break this long and come back and have their spot. It's never happened in any sport. I don't care if you're talking about bicycling, tennis. It's never happened. You couldn't offer me an example. But you're dealing with somebody who's already done stuff in his life and proven he can do things that nobody else can do. I'm hearing things about John Jones in the practice room, guys. He's doing great. I'm going to have to leave it at that. John Jones is doing great. So why? Why is he in the practice room when he has no fight coming up? Why is he locking himself in his office looking at a plethora of opponents instead of zoned in on one that he's got a contract with? Why? The answer isn't as sophisticated as you think. The heavyweights right now and the sport is something that John Jones finds interesting. To close out today's show, I want to take a few minutes and give the lightweight champion his due and speculate about Conor McGregor's eventual return to the octagon. I hate everything that Charles Oliveira does or has ever done when it comes to marketing. I hate everything about Charles Oliveira until I don't. And it's very interesting. Because Charles is doing the same thing now that I had a big problem with, and all of a sudden, I'm a huge fan. He has not changed. He did the same thing I have changed. You know, I was told that one time, guys. I was hated, and people were booing me, and it was it was this whole thing, but that's how I was getting attention. This was the shtick that I was running. I was on the other side of the tracks, right? I was the evil to the good. All right, Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper's son, Colt, and I were teammates. So if you're ever in a jam... For, you're doing a promo, you're going to a press conference, whatever it could be, and you have the ability to get a hold of Roddy Piper, it's very useful and helpful. Can we agree on that? I talked to Piper. He didn't give me the lines that I was looking for. Like if I called Stone Cold, Stone Cold would say, say this. And that's what I was looking for. Piper didn't do that, but he said to me, and I've shared this with you before, Chael, one day, they, meaning the audience, are going to love you 
for the same things that they currently hate you for. Now, that's a piece of poetry. That sounds beautiful. I know what the hell Roddy Piper was saying. What does that mean? I was very polite. I thanked him. This is my teammate. It's my friend's father. I'm going to show him a level of respect. I don't know what he said. What does that mean? Someday they're going to love you for the same things they hate you for. What the hell is that? And then it happened. And then I knew. But it's now happening to me on the other side of the tracks as it pertains to Charles Oliveira. Look, here's what's going on. Charles Oliveira, champion of the world. The champion of the hardest weight class. None of us debate what is the most difficult weight in MMA right now. It is 155 pounds. If you are the king of 155 pounds, you therefore, by proxy, should be recognized as the current GOAT. Doesn't happen for Charles Oliveira. Not only does it not happen for Charles Oliveira for the pound-for-pound pound goat status, which is currently grabbed by Kamar Usman, he's not even recognized as the best within his weight class. He has the championship of the world, for God's sakes. He is not even recognized by his fellow peers as the rightful holder to the crown. Now, I realize that's going away. And I realize that even some of us sat on that side of the fence, that he had beaten Chandler, but that wasn't enough. And the whole, you must come out and defend it, this whole song and dance that we do, but he did, and he did it successfully. And he did it over a common opponent of Khabib, and he did it 61 seconds faster than Khabib did. I mean, in all fairness, Charles really has proven himself, but he's not doing anything different. When I tell you I didn't like the stuff he was doing, I, I don't like that Charles Oliveira shows up to a weigh-in with blonde hair, and he shows up to a match with brown hair. I don't like that he's like Clark Kent, that one day he's got glasses at a press conference, and then he's Superman in the cage without them. I don't like that he's not recognizable. I like the Ben Matlock approach. I like the guy that wears the same thing every single time until the world knows that's you. I don't care if that's Conor McGregor in the tuxedo. I don't care if that's Chuck Liddell uh, with the Mohawk. I don't care if that's Quentin Jackson with the chain. There's something to be said for a gimmick and a character so that you're recognizable. There's the one thing that Charles was missing and nobody grabbed him. Nobody within his team grabbed him and said, hey, let's quit changing your identity. People don't know what you look like yet. Now that he's over with me, I can't wait to see what he wears next. I can't wait to see the new frames of glasses. I don't care if his hair is purple. I mean, right, once it works, once once that problem is solved, and it is solved, Charles Oliveira is now a recognizable name. So now what Roddy Piper told me many years ago, which is they will love you for the same thing that they currently hate you for, I now love Oliveira for the same things that I hated him for. Point Oliveira. But Oliveira right now just did something. Very low-hanging fruit. He's in this back and forth. I don't even know that this is Charles' option to fight Justin Gaethje or fight Conor McGregor. He is painting this narrative in a way that it is his decision. I don't know that Dana has given him that kind of leeway. But okay, Dana hasn't stepped in front of him and said he hasn't, so let's just go with the one narrative that we have that Charles Oliveira is going to choose between Conor McGregor and Justin Gaethje. What does Oliveira do? Oliveira goes to social media and he sets up a poll. He wants feedback from the fans. Now guys, don't ever mistake. Whenever you are asking for advice, you are looking for an accomplice. So Charles Oliveira has now gone to the very people, you, who will tell him who he should fight, whether you're inside of, of the big fight, which is Connor, or you're inside of the fight that represents integrity and you pay attention to the rankings in Justin Gaethje. He has now come to you, the very people who will tell him he did the wrong thing. And he has made you accomplices. It's simple. It's an easy one. It's low-hanging fruit, but he did it. It's what we call a cheap pop. You have a pop versus heat. Pop, that vernacular means a cheer. Heat means a boo. So a wrestler will often go into a new town, let's call it Baltimore. 
And he'll grab the microphone in the ring and he'll say, what's up, Baltimore? And that's going to get a cheap pop. Everybody's going to cheer because he just said their hometown. Or you could go for cheap heat that says, I, I hate being in Baltimore and everybody boosts. It's very simple, but it doesn't mean that it's any less effective. I can't give him an A in creativity, but I can give him an A in identifying something that works, something that's going to appeal him to the masses, act as though he's asking for advice when he's truly looking for accomplices. And he found them. And you accomplices also gave him the answer that he had his fingers crossed and he was hoping for, which was Conor McGregor. Now, the one reason, and there is only one, that we don't want it to be Conor is we don't want to screw over Justin Gaethje. Now, the litmus test for should we cry and hang our head for Justin Gaethje is simply this. If Justin was in the same position, what would Justin do? Would Justin go for the big money fight, or would Justin pay attention to the integrity and adhere to that of the rankings? Justin would go for the big money fight. Now, Justin will give this other guy an opportunity too. He's just going to have to wait an extra three months. Okay, no problem. But the point being, ooh, there's really no victim here. Everybody, if in the same opportunity, in the same position of Charles Oliveira, had their choice. And this was just done, by the way. This was done and made public to Dustin Poirier. Dana White called him up and said, you can fight Conor McGregor or you can fight for the championship. If you fight Conor McGregor, it will not be a championship match. Justin made this very public. Nobody denied it. It was very matter of fact. Dana wanted to show respect to Justin Gaethje, recognizing you are the number one contender, but there's another big thing out there for you, and it's I'm not going to put the belt up. What do you want to do? Poirier made his choice. I want to do both. I'm going to go do the big money fight first. And then, uh, you know, if that goes well, I'll still be the number one contender. And I'll go right in there for the belt. Okay. Nobody was upset about it. So I'm only bringing this to you a couple of things. First off, I don't think that Oliver has been given this magic wand to wave over the situation, but he is making believe that he does. And he just might. I just don't, I don't know that he has, but he just might have that ability, right? What the champion wants does matter, particularly when it lines up with the biggest star in the sport. If the champion wants what the biggest star in the sport wants, it makes sense that you could bring these things together. So where does this go and how do they get it done? I do feel that you could do both. It's a very rare thing where the biggest star in the sport happens to be in your weight class. He happens to be coming back and he wants a piece of you, at least according to his social media. It's a very rare thing. But it's like anything in life. Be very careful what you ask for because you just might get it. I do not love the idea, and this is as a Connor supporter, right? To my to my two viewers with my window sheen, I still like the guy. And as a Connor supporter, I don't want him to jump in the deep end right away. I just I just don't. That doesn't mean I'm going to get my way. If that's what he wants to do and that's best for business, that's likely what he's going to go and do. I just don't like that idea. I think that we need to learn something from what happened to Connor. Connor simply was not himself in Dustin Poirier McGregor Part Two. That was not Connor McGregor. That is not the Conor McGregor that Dustin had fought the first time. That is not the Conor McGregor that stood across from Chad Mendes. That was not the Conor McGregor who fought Jose Aldo. That was not the Conor McGregor that boxed Floyd Mayweather. That just simply wasn't him. That was a rusty guy who'd been out for a period of time and was trying to get his feet wet in the middle of a pandemic, went training weird, and went to a, an entirely different continent to do it in front of a crowd that did not exist. I mean, in all fairness, it was a very unique and very weird situation for Conor. But if we're to learn anything from that, it didn't have to do with the pandemic. 
It didn't have to do with the training. It didn't have to do with the continent. And it didn't have to do with the lack of energy from the crowd. It really did not. It had to do with one thing, which was Connor been out for a period of time. His reactions were a little bit off. The pacing and the time of the match is faster than you can duplicate in the workout room. Connor did the best that he could for the situation he was in, but he can't make up for the fact that he wasn't in live competition. That's just what happened. So I don't love the idea, if we're just voicing things back and forth, I don't love the idea that he comes off of an injury, the first meaningful injury. Connor's not hurt, he's injured. There is a vast difference. We have no idea what training looks like. We just know that it's not existing. I meet people within this sport, and this sport of MMA is, is the only people that do this, that call any level of exercise you get training. No other sport does that. There are workouts, there are practices, there is exercise, and then there is training. Training is when you eat, sleep, and breathe the activity, period. It is your absolute highest effort that you have. If you're at 70%, you give 100% of 70% all the time. It's training. It's very different. You cannot train very often. A training camp is right around eight weeks. But you were practicing, exercising, and working out 800 weeks prior to that for the good ones. I only bring that to you because whatever it's looking like, Connor's not able to train. Connor can get his heart rate up. Connor can sweat. Connor can be in the gym. Connor can be disciplined. He can't train. He's hurt. He's rehabbing. He's doing everything right. Does he need to step in right in there with the absolute best? And look, that's a whole other conversation too. If there's anybody that Connor is likely to beat to become the world champion, it is the sitting champion right now. Charles Oliveira, Connor McGregor is a fascinating matchup. It is very problematic for Oliveira. Conor McGregor is as good of a striker as this sport has ever seen. Oliveira is a very dynamic striker who showed some real wrestling prowess in a couple of contests, but in other contests didn't. Conor can handle himself on the ground. Conor can take care of himself on the feet. The in-between has been a problem with very high-level guys. So now you start to have a question of, is Oliveira a really high-level guy? Is he that high enough of a level guy? I don't have the answers to these questions. I'm just sharing for you, however this goes, the fans are going to get something very special. I don't know that Oliveira has this magic wand, but I do know that Oliveira is doing all the things that used to annoy me, and they don't annoy me anymore. Are you guys feeling that? Are you guys kind of getting won over by this Charles Oliveira angle? And now, while acting as though he wants your advice, he's found accomplices. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, head on over to Apple Podcasts, search for the show, and leave a review like our friend Toby, who says Uncle Chael is worth listening to for knowledge and entertainment. Well, thank you, Toby. And I'm going to be back here on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.